Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Pastor Larry and his series, The Watchman. Okay, I don't know about you guys, but that worship did me in. Therefore, I got my Kleenex. How many of you find that um, in moments where you sense really clearly God asking you to do something and everything inside of you resists and doesn't want to do it? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. So this morning is, is such a morning for me. So Pastor RJ's on holidays. Good for him. Therefore, I'm here. Sucks for me. No, not really. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. <clears throat> you know, um, I love prophecy. I've always loved prophecy. And um, back um, in 1997, in my first pastorate, I had, um, I was going through the word specifically the prophecy, and I was reading through Ezekiel, and I came across that passage that was read in Scripture, Ezekiel 33, and uh, as I was reading through it, and just like, wow, that's hard. That's harsh. And I just sensed the Holy Spirit whispering to me, that's you. You are my watchman. You know, there's, there's certain names that God gives us. We don't like them. I wasn't sure I was ready for that name, to be called the watchman. There's so much responsibility associated with that name. And I'm like, God, I can't do this. And he says, you can, because I am with you. And um, I want to encourage you that as we go through this message, it's, it's so much more than just being a watchman, but it's, it's what is the message, Lord, that you want me to share? And, and just to, to bring some backstory to why the message that Watchman this morning, um, yeah, that was 23 years ago, 1997, where I just felt the Lord really impress upon my heart that I was his watchman for that moment. And um, I dedicated huge portions of my time and energy into studying the uh, prophetic books. And um, um, I, I just have... Um, an incredible respect and uh, love for the prophetic. Jumping ahead, 26 years. That's a long time. Do you know, 26 years later, on March 15th, I received a gift. This book. Does anybody know what this book is? I mean, very people actually have a book like this anymore. They have a book like this. Um, but anyways, I received this gift, and um, it's very pretty. It's got the thorn, the, cro the crown of thorns on it, and um, 
And it's not so much just who gave it to me, but the week or a couple weeks after I got it, it, I hadn't touched it, but a couple weeks after, I was filtering through the pages like this, and all of a sudden, I stop on this page. And I don't know if they're showing it there, if they can, if they've got it, that little video thing, because it's going to be hard for you to see. But if I hold the page up, I don't know how many of you can see it, but there's an error. When the pages of this book were cut, of the pages of this Bible were cut, they cut it, it was folded, and so it cut wrong. And I thought to myself immediately, it's like, wait a minute, I want to return this. There's an error. But as soon as I said that in my spirit again, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, my son, it's no error. And so I began praying and, and, and seeking God. And uh, on April 3rd, I wrote it down in my notes as I was talking with God. He said to me, he said, my beloved son, this is no error. This is me getting your attention. Just as I did many years ago, you are my watchman for a specific purpose and time. Many things are coming against the world and my people are not ready. So I don't know, I forgot to mention, that error, error, folds and points directly to Ezekiel 33. So that was the extent of what I heard from the Lord at that time because my mind began to just do somersaults and flipping and, and uh, um, feeling the stress of the moment, the, the, the heaviness of the moment. <coughs> it could be that the, Lord, that the Lord was telling me more, but I, I was no longer paying attention. But when Pastor RJ asked me um, a while back in preparation for him going, if I would take some of the Sundays in August, I knew exactly what I was supposed to be preaching on. And I began to, I began to meditate and to pray, and, and I read further. Okay, so Lord, I am a watchman, but what is the message? And I, and I continued reading in Ezekiel 33, starting at verse 10. It says, Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. You are saying our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away. How can we survive? Now, I don't know about you, but there are definitely moments in my life where, my, where I feel heavy in sin. And, and I mean, okay, I'm a pastor. You know, that, pastor, <laughs> hang on. You, you should be much better than that. Well, you know what? I mean, we're all human, are we not? Is there anybody perfect here? I don't see any hands. That's good because you didn't see mine either. There's no one perfect. But this is a state of understanding. Our sin is heavy upon us. Therefore, there is a need. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Correct? I just scrolled too far. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, 
Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? I get to that verse and it's like, I'm glad I'm not one of those wicked people. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then I kept reading. Son of man, give your people this message. The righteous behavior of righteous people will not save them if they turn to sin. Nor will the wicked behavior of wicked people destroy them if they repent and turn away from their sin. When I tell you righteous people that they will die, but then they sin, expecting that their past righteousness to save them, then none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. And suppose I tell some wicked people that they will surely die, but then they turn from their sins and do what is just and right. For instance, they might give back a debtor's security, return what they have stolen, and obey my life-giving laws, no longer doing what is evil. If they do this, then they will surely live and not die. None of their past sins will be brought up again, for they have done what is just and right, and they will surely live. As I was praying over this and meditating over that passage, there was one thing that came very clear to me. The heart of God for humanity. What is God's heart for you? What is God's heart for Windsor? What is God's heart for Ontario, for Canada, for the world? Is it not that all come into fellowship and relationship with him? So as I continue pressing into the message that God had for me to share, this is what he said to me. Just as with my chosen people in the time of Ezekiel, my children now have lost their sight. They wander through life focusing on their personal wisdom and understanding. They love what I hate and hate what I love. They tolerate sin, which I hate. And they don't love those whom I love and have predestined to righteousness. There are predominantly two areas where they have lost their way, and one is directly tied to the other. First, my children have lost their fear of me. They have lessened fear to something that they find palatable. Because they no longer fear me, they have lost perspective as to how to love me. They have lost their first love. So this morning, I feel incredibly compelled to talk to you about the fear of the Lord. As I look up the meaning of the fear of the Lord... Interestingly, many, many places reference the fear of the Lord like this. When the Bible refers to the fear of the Lord, it means having a deep respect, reverence, and awe for God's power and authority. Does that sound about right? Although that statement is true, it is grossly missing a very important part. James 2, verse 19. I'm going to read from the Message Bible first. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sit back 
as if you had something wonderful or you, you had done something wonderful? Well, that's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? And in the same passage in the NLT, uh, a lot less words, but it, it emphasizes a very key point. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. They tremble in terror. But it still doesn't clearly identify this concept of fear. There's this passage in Exodus, chapter 20, verse 20. But just to give it context, I'm going to back up and start reading at verse 18. When the people heard the thunder, this is talking about the Israelites. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us or we will surely die. Moses' response in verse 20, I love it. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid. For God has come in this way to test you. And so that your fear of him will keep you from sin. Two fears in the same verse. There is a difference between being scared of God and fearing God. The person who is scared of God has something to hide. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They went and hid. Because they were scared of God. They were scared because he had told them, do not eat from this tree or you will surely die. The person who fears God the healthy fear of God, has nothing to hide. That person is terrified only of being separated from God. So what does the fear of the Lord really look like? There's many, many things that I could talk to you about this morning, but I'm going to focus on two. The first one, the fear of the God, the fear of the Lord is trembling at his presence. In Psalm 89, verse 7, it says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. Did you catch that? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by those around him. Going back in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. 
as I was reflecting on these verses and praying, I asked the Lord, Father God, am I in any way not fearing you in the assembly of the saints? If you're not willing and ready to be real with God, don't ask a question like that. This is what he told me. My beloved son, you love coming to my house and for that and for all the right reasons. You love my people and you pour out my love on all of them equally. In this way, you honor and serve me well. There is just one area. Whoa, stop there. I don't want to know. There's one area in which you are failing to fear me. I've commanded that my tithe be brought to my house. And although you tithe faithfully, you have taken your heart away from the gift by automatic tithing. Your heart and your mind are no longer a part of the process. I want your heart, my son. I don't need your money. I want your heart. Lord, what else do you want me to know about the fear of the Lord in our church? I want their hearts. People honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Very few in church honor me with their finances. There are many who give, but they don't give from their heart. I want their heart. Many of my loved ones come into my house wearing masks. They don't come as their true self. Couples have stopped submitting to each other in love, and yet they come to my house as though they are a perfect marriage. Others avoid one another, pretending to be all spiritual, but refuse to love each other in my house. They pretend that no one notices, but I see and know all. I want their heart. I've commanded that they love one another without judgment. They justify their response with what they call righteousness. But how can my love be in them if they do not love one another? The little ones do not honor their father and their mother, and so they do not honor me. They are taught to be tolerant of all. And in their tolerance, they tolerate sin, and I hate sin. They need to be taught to fear me, to love what I love and to hate what I hate. There was many other things the Lord revealed to me on that day. But I asked him, I says, Lord, did Jesus fear you? He sent me to Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. This is a prophetic word about the coming of Jesus Christ. And it goes on, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight, that's Jesus. Jesus' delight is in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' entire life is reflected in fearing God. But not fear as in afraid of him. There's a key verse. Jesus did nothing unless his father told him. 
Why? He's God, is he not? Because he had a fear of the Lord in him. You know, there's the most critical passage or the most important passage in all of Scripture that reflects the heart of Jesus towards his father. Pastor RJ read it last Sunday, and so I was contemplating whether I should or shouldn't, but the Lord says, no, it's there. It's for a reason. Luke 22, verse 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just before the crucifixion. Why did Jesus pray that prayer? Because in the flesh, in the flesh, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And he was afraid. He had a fear of the Lord. But in the fear of the Lord, he very appropriately says, not my will, but yours be done. Not in agreement with my flesh in the moment, but your will. When we come to these moments of decision in our lives where we feel or we sense the Holy Spirit telling us to do something, do we have these conversations with God? Lord, I don't want to do it. But not my will, yours be done. Psalm 19, verse 9. Just the first part of the verse. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord is clean. Hmm. That's interesting. I checked in the bookstore earlier this week. And um, I had seen it there. But unfortunately, it was ordered for somebody else. And so they don't have it on the shelf. But if you go and ask them, they can order it for you. It's called The Awe of God by John Bevere. You know, and in an interview... Um, I was watching on YouTube an interview that was had with John Bevere regarding this book, The Awe of God. And in there, he's talking about a moment of an encounter with, with God that John had where the Lord was talking to him about the fear of the Lord. And he said this. This is what the Lord said to John Bevere. Lucifer led worship right before my throne. He beheld my glory. He was anointed. He did not fear me. He did not endure in heaven forever he said a third of the angels surrounded my throne they beheld my glory they didn't fear me they didn't endure forever adam and eve walked in the presence of my glory they didn't fear me they didn't endure in the garden forever every created being who surrounds my throne will be tested in the fear of the lord I don't think I'm far off in saying that the day is soon coming where we will stand 
before the throne of Almighty God. If your life is hard right now, rejoice because you are being tested. You are being tried because God wants the fear of the Lord in you. Do you know a Barna study has said that over 40 million people in the United States have walked away from their faith in the last 23 years? 40 million. Of those 40 million, half of them are now professing spiritualists, agnostics, and atheists. Why? Why? We, the church, have not brought a healthy balance of the holy fear of God into the church. The love of God keeps us from legalism, and we don't want legalism because that kills. But the fear of God keeps us from falling into the trap of lawlessness. God hates what undoes people, and that's sin. When we fear God, we hate what God hates and we love what God loves. God loves all people equally, both the sinner and the saint. Don't forget that we too were sinners at one point in time. God doesn't hate sinners. He loves them. What he hates is the sin that undoes them, the sin that sends them to hell. The person who doesn't fear God tolerates sin. The person who fears God has a holy hatred towards sin and a passionate love for people. All people equally. And far too often we become comfortable with those who are inside these four walls. And we forget about the ones outside who are sick and dying. Mark 2.17 says... When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Let me ask you, if Jesus was to walk the earth today, this very day, where would you find him? We'd like to say he'd be here at WCF. I don't think so. He'd be out in the world reaching the lost, redeeming the lost to the heart of the Father. You know, I heard this interesting story about Lazarus being raised from the dead. I love the analogy. He talked about Lazarus, and we're, we're in essence, we're like Lazarus. We were all dead to sin. Brought back to life, just like Lazarus, Lazarus, raised from the dead. But I'm going to paraphrase what he said to make it more relevant to our situation. How many of us are like Lazarus in the parking lot at Costco, still wrapped up in our grave clothes, and hollering out to people as they pass by, Look at me! I'm raised from the dead! 
Don't you want to be like me? And people looking at him in his grave clothes and like, yeah, I like myself a little better. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus commanded the community to unwrap him and free him to be his true self. The self that God had called Lazarus and raised him up to be. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about identity. Do we have a healthy fear of the Lord? The second thing, tremble at his presence. The second one is tremble at his word. Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this one, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Like, wow. What does that mean to tremble at his word? John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. How many commandments are there in the New Testament? Okay, so I am hearing the number two, which I anticipated. In the Old Testament, 613 commandments. 613 commandments in the Old Testament, not just 10. In the New Testament, there are 1,050 commandments. Okay, understand, verses like, be compassionate one to another, is a commandment. In the grammatical sense in which it's written, it's a commandment. Be hospitable one to another. That's a commandment. Pray for one another. That's a commandment. 1,050 commandments in the New Testament that all reflect on the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, apart from the commandments in the Bible, like I mentioned earlier, there are moments where the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will say, son or daughter, I want you too. Back in 2007, the Lord came to me. This is when I was in Bolivia with my family. Every once in a while, I tried to do it, you know, a couple times a month. But I would leave my home. I would go alone into the mountains. I would climb up into the mountains. Because for some reason, at higher elevation, I felt closer to God. And, um, and I would just pray and I would talk and listen. And it was, it was on one such occasion that the Lord said to me, Son, I want you to take you and your family and return home to Canada. 
It was illogical. It didn't make sense. And I kept arguing with him for a full year before I obeyed. And I don't have time to get into the results of that disobedience. Maybe another day. But this is what I learned. The fear of the Lord is to obey him immediately. The fear of the Lord is to obey him even if it doesn't make sense. The fear of the Lord is to obey him even if it hurts. Even if we don't see a benefit. And the most important one of all. The fear of the Lord is to obey him all the way through to completion. Why? Because most often we do not see the reward of our obedience until the task is finished. So do you know that there are actually a multitude of promises that come from fearing the Lord from Scripture? I want to present some of them to you. We're doing okay. One of the promises, friendship with God. Psalm 25, verse 14. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Does anybody want to be a friend of the Lord? Second reward. There's actually in the passage of Psalm 112. I, I encourage you to read the entire passage at some point. But I'm only going to go through a few of the verses here this morning. Starting at verse 1. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Do you want joy in your life? Obey. This, the very next verse. Those who fear the Lord will have a blessed lineage. Verse 2. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. But you know, in that entire passage, this is my favorite, verses 7 and 8. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and, and can face their foes triumphantly. When you have a healthy fear of the Lord, there is no other need to fear. There is no other need to fear. You know, I did that once in an encounter, and I actually spilt my coffee everywhere. They thought it was intentional. This was not intentional. Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 11. Actually, I'm just going to read the first five verses. 
the fear of the Lord provides wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 2, verse 1. My children, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. And I'm going to stop there just for a moment. When we are interacting with God and we're praying, what do your prayers look like? Are they questions of God asking for revelation to insight and understanding? An emotion stirs up in your spirit that's not a good one. And it's like, oh, why do I feel this way? You get angry, you get introverted, you focus on your emotion of the moment. But what would it look like if in that moment that fear is settling in, I stop and I say, Father God, why am I afraid? What is it I'm afraid of? What are you trying to tell me in this? Is that not looking for wisdom and understanding? More valuable than silver. Verse 5. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. When? When you seek as if you were seeking for the greatest treasure on earth. Wisdom and understanding. And where does wisdom and understanding come from? From God. Yes. The fear of the Lord is having a deep respect. A reverence and awe. For God's power and authority. But the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 10. Is the foundation. Of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments. Will be filled with wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. If our fear of the Lord does not include obedience... And more importantly than that even is this unending longing to be in his presence always. We are missing out on way too much. We're missing out on the abundant life that he has promised. Do you know, to fear the Lord is to know him. To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. To obey him is to give him your whole heart, soul, and mind. The fear of the Lord doesn't draw us into this attitude of doing, doing, doing. 
the fear of the Lord draws us into this, this longing to sit at his feet and to listen and hear from him. What does he say about the mysteries of him and the universe? What does he say about the mysteries of me? What does he say about the mysteries of others? It's a beautiful place to be at his feet, to sit, to listen. And why is this so important? Bring it back to the whole concept of the watchman. The very nature of our political environment, and I'm not getting into any politics, is to draw us away from the heart of God and to become dependent upon a society that needs them. The fear of God draws us to the heart of the one who created us. The fear of the Lord is what draws us into his presence where we sit in awe and wonder at who he is. But not only that, but it, we sit in awe and wonder of the very world he created. And it gives us the ability to go through everything without fear. No fear. I talk with people and I know they tremble about what is coming in fear. If you have a healthy fear of the Lord, there's no need. There's no need. And I know that sounds bold and high and mighty. Try it sometime. And in fact, I want to invite you even now. If there is something that I have spoken this morning, if there is something in your life that you've been hanging on to, that you want to surrender and say, Father God, I am done. I can't take this any longer. Perhaps there's a secret that just keeps you bound up in chains. Is that secret more important than sitting at the feet of Jesus and experiencing who he is and who he says you are? The devil hangs on to your secrets and he keeps you in bondage with them. James 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins one to another, praying for one another that you may be made whole. So many times we go through life, we go through our week, and we are struggling. Because there is something in our life holding us back. What is that something in your life? I'm going to ask you to stand. Again, like last week, we have no communion elements. But you know what? That's no secret to God. He knew that. The whole concept of communion is an opportunity of connecting with him in a very personal way. Connecting with what Jesus did on the cross. But you know, there's something else that we can do that is equally as important. That represents and reflects our connection with the Father. And that's the act of surrender. It's the act of, of, of submission where we say, Father God, here I am. 
take me as I am. I commit, I surrender myself to you. I submit myself to you. I confess to you my secret sins. I confess to you that my sins of omission are just as bad as the ones that I've knowingly done. And when I say sins of omission, I'm talking about the things that God has asked us to do that we just kind of forget about. The ones like hospitality, compassion, all the one another's actually in the New Testament that Paul talks about. You know, I can't tell. There's an article that was sent to me. I can't tell you about how many people, a whole pile of people, about this U.S. swimmer at the national or international games or whatever. And um, she was diving and, and she went under, um, but she didn't come up. And um, the coach with her clothes on said she's down far too long. She went down after her. But the point of the article was how many people in our lives are down, drowning in their, own, in their own problems. And nobody is there to notice, to go down and help them. Are we praying, Father God, whom is it that you want me to reach out to this week? Whom is it you want me to go and be the church to? Oh my goodness, the things that the Lord showed me are so broad and vast, I can't even mention every one. But the Lord speaks directly to your hearts. And you know, if he's speaking to you this morning, and he was saying, my son, my daughter, you have lost or you have minimized your fear of me. I'm inviting you to come to the front and just surrender it to the Lord. your marriage is one thing at home but another thing in church surrender it come surrender it to the Lord if there are any of you that you know I don't know most of the children they leave but if there's any young people or young ones here and you are not honoring your father and your mother come surrender it here If you find it easy in your heart to love those that are beside you, those that are around you, but you have, you have this, you just don't have a love for those who are out in the street, those that you encounter on a daily basis in your workplace. There's some of you that even as I say that, I hear you, your response is, but pastor, I don't know what I would say. If that's you, I invite you to come and surrender to the Lord. He knows. He puts the word in your mouth. <coughs> All you need to do is surrender it to him.
Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. They were well-to-do, a well-to-do couple. And um, there was another individual who, who had sold everything and gave it to the church. And, and perhaps I'm just, you know, putting some of my own imagination into this, what it could have been. But they saw all the excitement that was built over the fact that they sold and gave it to the church and the blessing and the church was growing and they wanted a part in this blessing. And so they sold everything, this piece of land. They sold the whole thing. But they only gave a portion of it, but saying that they gave the whole thing. Because the glory of the Lord at that time was so thick, God's glory cannot tolerate sin. And their sin of lying killed them. There is a time coming that the Lord has shown me ahead of time where his glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. His glory is going to be even greater than what it was in the book of Acts. If you are going through a shaking in your life, it is because the Lord is trying to prepare you for this glory. He is drawing you out of yourself into his presence. Will your pride keep you in your seat? Or will you say, Father, forgive me? I looked at myself. I felt pretty righteous. Especially after he said, I'm pleased with your joy in coming to the church and serving me there. But I fell to pieces when he said, I have failed him with my tithes. And we come up with all these excuses. But God, I give my tithe faithfully. All he wants is your heart. He wants your heart. What is in your heart of hearts? Every human being has a root motive. And every decision we make is informed by that motive. The way to the abundant life God offers is to change what is at the core. Every follower of Jesus Christ must decide to set the fear of the Lord at the center. That song we sang in worship. Jesus is the center of it all. Is he? This is not something that happens naturally or mysteriously. It's not like this magical thing that we just pray, Father God, please be the center and it just happens. It's an act of our will. Today, you must decide. Just as Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. You must decide to delight in the fear of the Lord. Can you make it a point of daily prayer? Father God, I'm struggling with my fear in you. Increase. I invite in me 
the spirit of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the fear of the Lord will quicken and awaken everything inside of you to bring transformation to the heart of the Father. Father God, I just want to pray for each and every one who's come forward here, Father God. Lord, they have come in an act of surrender. In an attitude of submission. Father God, I pray that this, from this day forward, there is a sense of the fear and the awe and the wonder of the Lord that is divine. That is spiritual, that is pure, that is true. That draws them so intimately into the heart of the Father, Father God, that they find the strength to resist and to walk in new ways, putting aside sin and the attraction to it. And being, not only putting aside sin for themselves, but Father God, to, <coughs> excuse me, to be a representative of you in the community and in the circles of influence that they have. Father God, that they love what you love and hate what you hate. May they carry with them the heart of the Father for all humanity. I pray a blessing and anointing on each and every one, individually. And Father God, corporately as a church, Lord, that you bring us as a body into your glory. Glory that is transformative. Glory that is strengthening. Glory that enables the supernatural in ways that we have never seen and observed before. We pray this, Father God, with your greatest blessing and anointing. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So that was um, a really good word. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but um, so much of what was just said really spoke to me, and the Lord has been dealing with me um, for quite some time about this very thing, and he wants to uproot the pleasures of this world and change our focus so that we are focused on him. At the beginning of his message, he was talking about, um, you know, the day is coming soon. We're, we're in the end of the end here. And I thought this was a really interesting excerpt. It's from a book called The Tipping Point by Jimmy Evans. And a man had come to him and, uh, he was just asking about investing, you know, should I invest in my future? Should I put money into that? Are we gonna be here? And I really liked his answer. He said, I told him to plan as though Jesus is not returning for a hundred years and live as though Jesus is returning today. I would leave the same message to you. Plan your life, go to school, get married, have children, Give generously, 
Spend wisely. Save responsibly. Plan for your retirement. God wants you to live your life for his honor and glory, but also with a constant awareness that Jesus may return at any moment. Wow, that's deep. As a Christian, we have a spiritual being inside of a physical body. Can you tell me what's the most important part of this physical part as a watchman? That's right, it's your mouth. Your mouth is the most and uh, we have to be careful every day what comes out of our mouth because you're entering it into the spiritual realm. We pray every day, Carolyn and I, that we would have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Larry was just talking about you getting out there in public and not knowing what to say. You don't need to know what to say. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and you'll speak words into people's mouths where you just... You have an anointing. The Holy Spirit said, if you will come and ask me, I will give you wisdom far beyond what you could figure out. So utilize that as a watchman and be careful of your mouth. King David got up every morning and said, put a guard on my lips, Father God. That I don't speak things that are a hindrance, but people can, can use in their lives. And, uh, if you can bear with me for a minute, I was reminded last night about the ever-optimistic Christian window washer. This fellow got that name from being ever optimistic. Oh, you didn't hear this one. And uh, interjecting the word of God in all these conversations that he hear would, that were negative. So uh, anyways, this one beautiful spring day, he's on a skyscraper, 96 floors up. <clears throat> and he's having a good time in the beautiful weather, singing and carrying on and cable snapped that he was on 96 floors up he looks down to the road below zooming at him as he gets halfway down at the 50th floor he looks out and there's a guy on his balcony watching all this and as they get closer and closer they make eye contact and the ever optimistic Christian window washer says so far so good just just to remind you how powerful it is, your words. That's just a story, folks. It's not real. But uh, just try every day to use the anointing of the Holy Spirit and minister to people. I tell you, you're going to be impressed. It's going to be really cool. Have a good one, folks. WCF, you've been equipped. Now go.